0: Hello and welcome to The Promise of Discovery, a podcast where members and investigators at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center talk about their research in intellectual and developmental disabilities. Good afternoon. My name is Courtney Taylor, and I'm the director of communications for the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center. And I'm here today with Dr. Autumn Kajawa, who is an assistant professor of psychology and human development at Vanderbilt University, and also a member of the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center. Uh, Dr. Kajawa also directs the Mood, Emotion, and Development Lab, which works to produce translational research to reduce the burden of mood disorders on children, adolescents, parents, and families. Hello, Dr. Kajawa. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Hi, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast.
0: Oh, we're excited. We're going to talk more about your research on the neurocognitive effects of neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome. But before we do talk about this important work, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you, if that's okay. Yeah. So how did you get interested in this line of research?
1: So I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist. And so my research broadly examines the development of mood disorders in youth. Um, And before I started grad school focused on my PhD in clinical psych, I initially planned to go into elementary education. So I've always worked a lot with young children and did a lot of work with children with developmental disabilities, working as an ABA therapist and a camp counselor for children with special needs before I started grad school and then after grad school i worked in psychiatry departments for several years before i moved to vanderbilt in 2018 and i worked as a cognitive behavioral therapist with youth and families and and so through that experience and my practicum training the clinical training of my phd program i had the chance to work with children and teens um, with a broad range of mood and behavior disorders and developmental disabilities um and as, as as but as um And so I've always been really interested in these early developmental factors that shape risk and resilience for psychological disorders. And using innovative methods, like in my lab, I use a lot of, um, I I commonly use electroencephalogram or EEG to measure brain function. We can talk a little bit more about that today. Um, So how I can apply that to understand developmental processes that lead to psychological difficulties and emotional and behavioral problems. But this specific work is a little bit new of a direction for me. And so this was informed by my collaborations with Dr. Kate Humphreys in psychology and human development and Dr. Andrew Molnar in psychiatry and behavioral sciences. We all started at Vanderbilt around the same time and we recognized that we had these complementary interests. Um, Dr. Molner's background is in neuropsychological assessments with young children and Dr. Humphreys focuses on early adversity and then I bring this psychophysiological EEG methods piece to the research. And we identified prenatal opioid exposure as an issue that we wanted to work on because it's a timely problem, it's not well understood, and thought this would be a nice opportunity for us to collaborate and start to address some questions in the research on this area. So this project specifically was really a team effort and came out of those collaborations and this opportunity um, to get some of the support through the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center.
0: That's great. So I want to talk a little bit more and get into talking about this research. So. We know that the um, opioid epidemic is a major public health concern um, and that there is a lot of research happening in this area. But this this seems a little different. Um, You're studying neurocognitive effects of neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome. So can you tell me a little bit of what that means, what that means exactly and what you are studying?
1: Yes. So so of course we know that the opioid epidemic is is a major issue and going along with that there we're also seeing increased rates of infants who are exposed to opioids in utero and sometimes even born with withdrawal symptoms immediately after birth. And so when we look at the literature though and look at what's out there in terms of research, we realize that we actually don't know that much about what the longer-term impacts of prenatal opioid exposure are on child development. And if there are even longer-term impacts, because we know from research on other substances, on alcohol, medications, use in pregnancy, that some can have really profound effects on child development. Like we see this with fetal alcohol syndrome, for example. But others seem to be relatively safe for the developing fetus. Um, And so we wanted to apply these methods to start to answer this question, to see if there are sort of subtle differences in how preschool children's brains function and how they um, are able to manage their behaviors um, when after this opioid exposure, if this persists and we see differences in preschool years. So that's kind of the big question that we were starting to to look at here, to really see what are the difficulties we're seeing, if any, and then if if there are challenges, what can we do to intervene to promote healthy child development after prenatal opioid exposure? So can you
0: walk us through the design of that and how you're going about studying that and looking at this issue?
1: Yes. Yeah. So before I want to get into the design, one other piece I wanted to add too is that we well this is relevant to the design is that we really wanted to be sensitive also to other factors that we know could impact brain development and children's behaviors and there is an issue in the literature on substance exposure in prenatal substance exposure in that there may be other factors after birth that impact child's development for example having a a parent who's using opioids there may be other stressors that go along with that in terms of mental or physical health problems in parents potentially fewer financial resources resources or more inconsistency or variability in caregiving and so we wanted to really try to be sensitive to that and to try to account for those factors in our design as well to make sure that we could really try to isolate if there are direct effects of opioid exposure itself we're still limited in how well we can do that because it's not something that we can causally manipulate in an experimental design. But that was one thing that was really important to us in designing the study is trying to be thoughtful in terms of thinking about other experiences that that children have that may go along with the opioid exposure um, from pregnancy. And so what we did for this study, so we um, wanted to look at cognitive control. Cognitive control is the processes that we use to adjust our behaviors and our thoughts to try to achieve certain goals. And so we know that the ability to adapt and regulate our responses to obtain goals is important for academic success, um, for kind of general functioning. And we know that it, it improves across development. So very young children have difficulty with cognitive control, but it gets better. They Those skills develop into adolescence and into young adulthood. And so we wanted to see, are there any differences in cognitive control in children with prenatal opioid exposure compared to those without prenatal opioid exposure and trying to be sensitive to kind of matching on other general life circumstances being somewhat similar besides this prenatal opioid exposure. And so we measured cognitive control in two different ways. So one, we were interested in um, observing their behavior And the other one we were interested in measuring their brain's responses using EEG, which is a stretchy, we put a stretchy cap on the kid's um, head and we can measure electrical activity in the brain through these um, sensors that are placed on the scalp. And so we have 44 preschoolers. We were actually able to exceed our recruitment goals even though this was during the COVID pandemic. So this very early part of the COVID pandemic. So it was a challenge, but we were able to recruit 21 kids. These are three to five year olds who were exposed to opioids prenatally based on their caregiver reports, and 23 comparison children who did not have the prenatal opioid exposure. And because it was early in the pandemic, we tried to complete as much of the assessments virtually as we could. Um, And then we had children come into our lab when it was safe to do so, and we had our protocols in place to conduct the EEG assessment. So there are a few different steps to the study. So we had caregivers tell us about their child's emotions and behavior. So they completed scales just to see are there group differences in emotional and behavioral problems in preschool age children with and without prenatal opioid exposure. Then we had kids do a validated task where they had to stand as still as possible, even when they heard distractors. So we tried to distract them, but they the goal was to stay as still as possible and see how well they could do that compared to other kids their age. So that was our behavioral observational measure of cognitive control. And then when we were able to have them come into our lab, we had them play a computer game Um, It's a zoo game where they see different animals, and some of the animals they have to help the zookeepers capture them. They escaped from the zoo, and so they need to try to get them back into the zoo. But then some animals they're supposed to not capture. Those are the animals that are helping them. So they have to press a button as quickly as possible to capture the animals but then they have to stop pressing the button every once in a while when they see the animal they're not supposed to capture. And so this is often talked about, called a go no go task because it's a go, 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 press the button and then stop pressing the button. And so from that, we can look at how well children do with that. Are they able to stop pressing the button? Do they make a lot of mistakes? And then we can also measure the brain's response when they make a mistake. So when they press a button, when they were supposed to stop pressing the button, we can look at what's happening in the brain. And there's this very consistent signal that we see that relates to performance monitoring and relates to this aspect of cognitive control in terms of being able to recognize, oh, I made a mistake and then adjusting behavior to kind of fix that. And so that's a really um, well-established neural signal that we looked at there. So those were the different measures that we had in the task and the kind of overall design that we used.
0: And you mentioned um, that you are working with a team of researchers, and it sounds like that this is sort of a multidisciplinary team. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that approach and how that may have um, impacted the study design and, and how you went about doing this?
1: Yes. Yeah. So it really was a very collaborative effort and bringing together different areas of expertise. And so um, we had, so we were each able to kind of bring our methods, expertise, and our kind of perspectives on the experiences that these children and families may have. Um, and I think that really strengthened the design. So I was able to add this EEG task, recognizing that having this experience with measuring these processes at the neural level. But then Dr. Mulner, who's a clinical psychologist um, who, um, is, who practices through the Department of Psychiatry, was able to help with supervising these neuropsychological assessments to get at what's happening at the behavioral level. Um, and then Kate Humphreys was really involved in the Um, thinking about the more contextual factors that children may be experiencing and how do we measure stress and early adversity. And so I think by working in that multidisciplinary team like that, we were really able to design a a unique study that I think looks at this problem in a a kind of unique way in terms of bringing in these different perspectives. We also um, had some involvement from working with Stephen Patrick, who's really an expert in um, opioid use and pregnancy and neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome. And so we got some feedback from him as well that was really insightful and really helpful. And so it's, I think it's great working with teams like this in terms of just seeing how the idea develops and you end up with a much stronger product with everyone's input than you could do with one kind of area of expertise.
0: Okay, now, so I'd like to learn a little bit more about your findings. What are you learning so far?
1: Yes, so we do have some interesting findings coming out that we hope will be impactful for this field. So first, when we look at what caregivers told us about their children, we do see that the children who had prenatal opioid exposure, their caregivers in this three to five-year-old age range are reporting more emotional and behavioral problems from across the board. So they're reporting more hyperactivity, more difficulties with attention, more anxiety. Um, And so we are seeing this difference in these kind of early emerging symptoms that could be a precursor to um, the later development of kind of full-blown disorders. Um, One thing to note there, though, is that it is possible that the caregivers who were interested in the study because of the focus on prenatal opioid exposure, they may be a little bit different from those who didn't participate in the study because maybe they do already have some concerns about their children. So that is one challenge that we don't know for sure that it's really due to the opioid exposure or if there's other factors that contribute there. Then when we looked at the measures of cognitive control, we have an interesting pattern of results where we're seeing When we look behaviorally, we're not seeing differences between the groups. So the kids with and without prenatal opioid exposure performed pretty similarly when they were told to try to stay as still as possible, just despite the distractions. And when they had to do the zoo task and capture the animals, their behavioral performance was pretty similar. But they do have a noticeable difference in their brain responses, where the kids with the prenatal opioid exposure show a reduced neural response to errors, which we think is this adaptive way of the brain signaling, oh, I need to update and adjust my behavior for this goal. So there is this difference in terms of brain function, where that seems to be reduced in the kids with prenatal opioid exposure, and that might reflect then more subtle alterations in cognitive control that we're seeing at the brain level, but are not manifesting in um, the overt behaviors, at least in the lab task. But we are seeing the behavioral differences in terms of caregiver reports. And these effects do seem to be similar even when we account for um, socioeconomic status. So it seems like it's not fully accounted for by experiences after birth, but we do have to still be really careful with this conclusion. And One challenge that we had is that most of the kids in the opioid exposure group were adopted, whereas the comparison kids were not. Um, And so there could be differences in terms of caregivers who are interested in the study versus those who are not. And there could be differences in terms of the experience of these kids being in adopted families. And so we really do need a larger study with a more representative sample and looking at changes across time to really um, better understand these patterns. But they are offering us some interesting early insights um, that are helpful for them planning the next stage of the, this work.
0: And so with what you're learning so far, um, how is this helpful? What, what How is this information practical on the ground? You know, why does it matter in the lives of, of these families?
1: Yeah, that's a really important question. And so One of the other things that we were able to do with this study is that we we tested a brief caregiver intervention to help to try to enhance cognitive control and improve behavior in the kids with prenatal opioid exposure. And so what we wanted to see there is if we can target these processes that we think may be underlying more difficulties across development, if we can target those early on with intervention. And that's, those results are still very preliminary, but it is looking promising, like that is something that's helpful for caregivers. And so by better understanding what some of the challenges are for children after exposure to opioids in utero, we can then help caregivers to figure out what do children need? How can we promote healthy development after this experience? And so we first kind of have to understand what the problem is and then figuring out kind of how we can tailor interventions to um, support families um, with a child with opioid exposure.
0: That's fantastic. And then, so what else is next for your, for this research?
1: Yeah, so our next steps for this line of research are we're working on a larger grant proposal to the National Institutes of Health to try to replicate these findings in a larger sample And with a larger sample, we'll be able to better understand how much this is maybe driven by opioid exposure specifically versus other sort of confounding factors like adoption status or other early childhood experiences. We also want to look at changes across time um, and also to look at how caregiving behaviors, um, certain caregiving styles can buffer the effects of opioid exposure to then provide more insight into the development of refining this intervention to be able to promote healthy child development after prenatal opioid exposure. So we're working on some larger project plans in that area of research. Vanderbilt is also um, a site for a new initiative through the National Institute of Drug Abuse focused on pregnancy and early childhood development in this large representative sample, it's a multi-site study across the U.S. And, um, and that will also, Dr. Kay Humphreys and I are involved in that initiative as well, and that will help to provide further insight into the effects on children and what we can do to promote healthy child development.
0: This is such important work. I, I really appreciate you, you coming and talking about this. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about this work or anything at all?
1: Just, I just wanted to say that, you know, as a researcher and still being r- relatively early in my career, I'm really grateful for the support of the VKC community. It's really been helpful for me to be a part of um, such an important organization and to have the support to do this preliminary research.
0: Well, we're so pleased you're part of the community. So thank you. Thank you so much thank for doing you. this work. And thank you for coming today. And I really appreciate you talking with us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Promise of Discovery. Be sure to visit the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center website at vkc.vumc.org to learn more about today's episode. And tune in next time for more on the innovative research and intellectual and developmental disabilities from the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center.